This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And look, I love that. My favorite episodes of this podcast are the As Promised episodes. And as promised, the man who joined me, he joined me like it feels like uh, 10 million years ago that this guy was on the show. He is absolutely one of my favorite working film critics at the moment. You've probably read his stuff on RogerEbert.com. Um, WBUR is where I find him a lot, or Splice Personality is his personal blog. Um, he gives some of the best Twitter going around on film Twitter. He is a beloved guest of this show. He is Sean Burns, and he's come back as promised, to talk about the incredible man who is in both iterations of Michael Mann's Heat story. And he's like the only crossover character. He gets to play a different character, like a Shakespearean actor. Um, He gets to talk about Xander Berkeley, who plays Wayne Grow in the original uh, uh, LA Takedown. And now he plays Ralph, the best named character in the entire Heat story, Ralph. In Michael Mann's 1995 crime episode, Sean, bro, welcome back. Sit down, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the t- so my God, I love this scene so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is so good. And, you know, it's, it's, it's cut in an unfair way, but I think the lines of what we're allowed to talk to in this minute are going to be completely exploded because we just <laughs> need to talk about the whole scene. I think the beginning scene, the ramp up is, is really gnarly, like the actual the famous line from uh, the movie is sort of uh, about his television is sort of over two minutes, which is really annoying. But the lovely Courtney <laughs> Howard, um, LA great LA film critic as well, is uh, has joined me for the next minute. So you guys will get to hear that. It's a sort of Sean Courtney double minute on this one. Um, she got to dive into the gnarly breakup stuff, but Sean gets all the fun of Pacino discovering that uh, Xander Berkeley's been bowling his wife. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch the 131st minute of Michael Mann's 1995 Crime Opus Heat together. You guys are going to listen along and probably laugh along, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. It's ready. Vincent. This is my friend, Ralph. You didn't tell me you were... Where's Lauren? She's at Lisa Beth's. Look, this has nothing to do with me. I didn't know. I'm terribly sorry. What are you sorry about? Sit down. Don't you even get angry? I'm angry. Oh. Yeah? I'm very angry, Ralph. You know, you can ball my wife if she wants you to. You can lounge around here on her sofa. In her ex-husband's dead tech post-modernistic bullshit house if you want to but you do not oh <laughs> oh interrupt us god damn it 
<laughs> so good. Well, first of all, I know, I guess we've seen it a couple other times before, but of course Vincent has a pearl handle handgun. <laughs> 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 if you look at all the fucking jewelry this guy wears, with like, the bracelets and the necklaces, like, even his gun has to be blinged out with all the pearl. He's got to do it. I mean, what do you spend your money on when you've had three marriages and no kids? He's moved <laughs> interstate. He's like, he's got, he's got a bit of coin. And he's living in his in a postmodern dead tech bullshit house, Sean. So he can he's living in there rent free. You know, it's someone else paid for that pretty house. He gets to you know dress for it. I suppose. I'll never forget, man. I was talking about that the first time I saw it in that theater. But when he does the matador thing of unfurling his jacket like the cape to reveal the gun, <laughs> the whole thing was like woo. <laughs> It's such a great here it comes moment. Like we always talk about the physicality of Pacino in this performance, <laughs> but it really is. All I can think of is the bullfighter where he's just like presenting the gun and he, he puts his hands on his hips in that like Superman pose, oh my God. jumps his chest out. <laughs> it's and and it goes from complete. What I think I love about his performance at the beginning of the scene, it goes from like this bewilderment, like how many people have stumbled home really shitty day at work or whatever, whatever the case may be. You oh, just, he's got the shades on and the ties on. It's cute. just, he just looks like shit. The worst he's looked in the whole movie. He, yeah. The least put together. And then he walks in and looks at, he sort of, he sort of get, gets a glimpse at, he gets a glimpse at her and then at Ralph and at this situation. And he's just like, there's a, there's disbelief on his face. He, he looks at him, takes his sunglasses off. And she does that great. She's so good. Diane Venora. Oh, my God. She's good. She whispers in his ear, this is my friend Ralph. Oh, she's got, like, she's in the corner of the screen. She's got this, like, bitchy smile the whole time. She's just watching to see what happens. And you got it, like, perfect casting with Xander Berkeley because it's such an L.A. douchebag. Oh. Like, the first thing I always go to is he's got, like, the sweater and the bare feet. <laughs> he's got the bare feet on house re- and really loose fitting sweatpants like what's he wearing like it's the where did he get it's those like sweatpants back where <laughs> yeah the worst. we talked about this movie the tension between the new york guys and the la guys in the movie and this is the most la dude in the whole movie <laughs> just sitting on her sofa <laughs> <laughs> and and i love how he ramps it up this is such perfect Pacino because he's like, I'm very angry, Ralph. I'm, that's my, fa- my favorite line in the movie. I'm very angry, Ralph. It's like, I know your name now. You're not getting up. <laughs> is this one of the best scenes ever where you assume that Pacino is going to punch someone in the face and he doesn't? Like, <laughs> like how many ways could could this scene have unfolded? But I love that man like made this scene very specifically to like go, I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna subvert your expectations here. I'm gonna make it another reason why these people are gonna get into a bit of a fracas. They're gonna have a bit of an argument. And I think Sean Sean sent me a note the other day, and I will I'm gonna I'm gonna drop it in right now. I'm not gonna play it while we're we're talking on the phone because Sean and I know it too well. Is but in just ten seconds, you guys are gonna listen to an original clip from Crime Story where Dennis Farina is in the Vincent Hanna position here. A different play, a different, like, essay on this scene. And you can see why it doesn't totally work um, uh, in, in the way I think that man eventually gets it to work so goddamn perfectly in this movie. Um, but it has got the guy... I'm just go- I'm just Googling, vamping here. Um, it's, it's got the guy, Stephen Collins. 
is the douchebag in this movie. Stephen Collins of Seventh Heaven and some, you know, very, very uh, gnarly uh, sexual um, uh, um, sexual charges that he had for, like, underage people that kind of tarnished his entire career, fairly untarnished his entire career. But Stephen Collins, who's, like, the lovely, sweet guy in all the president's men, um, that you would have seen him there as, like, the, the noble member of the um, the Democratic National Convention... Oh, sorry, the um, Republican National Convention, who, who's That's there... Trek, right? He's the guy in the jumpsuit. Yeah. Boring-ass Star Trek movie. And he's, he's here as the douchebag that Ralph plays in Crime Story. So we're going to just pause right now. You guys are going to listen to that scene, and then we're going to come back and just sort of talk about Michael Mann being the guy who needed to do this multiple times to get it right. <laughs> You're going to kill me. You can go out on dates with my wife, you can sit on my sofa, but you, you are not going to watch my TV. My God. All right, there we go. That scene, Sean. Well, it's another thing that happened to Chuck Adamson, right? Yes, another thing. <laughs> Chuck like out. this was a story Chuck out like you know man's just a vampire for if you tell him anything it's gonna end up in a movie a great one or a tv show or another movie and he'll just keep doing it until he until he gets it right it's like it's almost like the the core story he'll tell you and he'll take it and he might go up verbatim because that's where he thinks he's got the power and then he just turns the screws on it <laughs> like i like this so much but it just doesn't I, I want you know i want the guy to feel like when the when he walks in the room that he's going to get in deep shit. And like, that's, what's great about Xander Berkeley for the great LA douchebag performance of Ralph is that he looks really scared. And like, he towers over Pacino. He's like meant to be the scary guy in the, in, in but does in, he have a pearl handled pistol? <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. At eight o'clock in the morning after I'm sure what was thrilling sex with Diane. <laughs> Seems like a very generous partner. in Yeah. <laughs> and, and she would have been so even all the more generous to make him stay for breakfast, right? It had to be good because she wanted him sitting down in a douchebag sweater, super comfortably watching Vincent's tiny television. Or like I said, she rehearses these arguments. So she's like, now I have to re- demean myself with Ralph. <laughs> she loves it. That's exactly what it is. She 100% has rehearsed this too. Yeah, she sets up these situations for him to walk into. Yeah, and says, here it is. That's the 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 final scene with these two together is like their most authentic scene, right? Because it's it's yeah. not rehearsed. She has no she has no um, she she has no predictive. You know what's Vincent going to do in this situation? Because he cuts her off from that work part of his life. So when he comes into that emergency room and he's like, "Do this, do this, do this," heart pulse this time, blah. She's just not prepared for how good he is. So she's just used to well, like manipulating awesome. him at home. It's the only scene where she doesn't sound like she's swallowed a thesaurus. <laughs> yes. It's, and, but when you practice those speeches, just like Michael yep. Mann has practiced this scene, you can turn the <laughs> screw, right? You can just keep making it perfect until you get that, you know, that delightful little hand, you know, um, beautiful white handle um, on that gun. Or you, you never get the, I'm very angry, Ralph. You don't get that. That's just so, like, knowing his There's name. Very angry. Pause. Ralph. (laughs) (laughs) So good. So much about, like, so. And you know what sucks? It's like 
I forgot it's like this movie exists and this weird time continuum in my brain now, but um, he's just lost Neil. He's completely yeah. lost Neil. Like, Neil's gone. He's had one of his guys die. He's had another of his guys shot. And now they know that even their potential pursuit of Neil is compromised because of this idiot being Hugh Benny and Van Sant and all that stuff happening. And after all of that, you know, taking taking down Henry Rollins in a very great throw you through the window by the face scene and all that sort of stuff, he's got to come home to this. Like, she still doesn't care that he was in the biggest heist that LA's ever seen. She doesn't care. I don't think she even knows, right? I mean, she's <laughs> she doesn't seem like she's she knows. She's stoned on grass and Prozac. <laughs> <laughs> she's been stoned on grass and Prozac. She doesn't care about how many chains he wears or that beautiful black suit, Sean. She didn't care about what he looked like when he walked out of the house. He was looking sharp. I say, that is the mean. I know it's a minute ahead, but that is like the meanest bitch when he calls her bitch right there. That oh. like bites. Oof. Hey, dude, settle down. That is, that is insane. He goes, I never cheated on you, bitch. He loves it. <laughs> I know your wife just cuckolded you and made a spectacle, but like, you're really, take the language down a notch. <laughs> In the greatest cinematic cuckold spectacle ever. Like, it should be called The Ralph. If your wife ever does this to you, it's The Ralph. If you have a friend, you listen to this show, if you have a friend that this has happened to, he got Ralphed, bro. You got Ralphed, you got to move on. And you got to do it with walk, walking out with your shitty TV. <laughs> yeah, you got to do it. You got to take. You gotta Not take even it. a nice TV. Like in Crime Story, it was a nice TV. It was a top of the line set. This is a crappy. It's the one in the kitchen. And you know what's funny? That's how little he owns in the house. Like she owns everything else. He has his crap TV that he was able to bring from his bachelor pad that he gets to watch in the kitchen when he's having dinner after she's already gone to bed. That's all he has, though, in this house, Sean. Like, those other divorces cleaned him out. He's got his wardrobe and that TV and his jewelry, and that's it. He has nothing else. This guy who's like, should be a captain, who should own this dead tech bullshit home, and he just has nothing. The job is everything to him. He loves it. That's great. And then, of course, he kicks the TV. You know, spoilers, kicks the TV out. <laughs> I am 100% adamant. I even asked Dante Spinotti on this show, were the people aware that that was Val Pacino kicking that television out? Of oh, the I heard that. <laughs> I want to know. For me, like, Those I'm guys like, pretty surprised. <laughs> there's, there's great, great extra work. Um. You know, I was just listening to, um, so at the time of this airs, you guys were recording this a little bit before you're hearing it, but I was just listening to The Ringer. They do a rewatchables podcast and I'm talking about The Godfather and they're talking about one of the, you know, the amazing scenes at the beginning, the wedding sequence of like how many extras in that scene just look like people having fun at a wedding. And what, how powerful that is to the tapestry of that movie that it doesn't feel like people are acting. It feels like you've got a very sort of cinema verite documentary style where you're just watching a wedding happen in the 1950s. Like this is what it what it's meant to feel like. And I think about that a lot with little bits and pieces of heat, like people streaming out of the, you know, in like the one of the um, closing moments of the heist, I think it's like the 112th minute where you see and, and 13th where you see people streaming out of the store and people taking cover. I think all those extras do phenomenal work to be like shitting themselves on camera and reacting to all the chaos. Like people with one line. It's yeah. always like, it's someone who looks like they live there. They have- yeah. And they just nail it. I don't notice it when it's done well. And it's funny because, you know, he keeps trying to remake it, but 
Christopher Nolan is the fucking worst at this. <laughs> the day players, I mean, I like Christopher Nolan overall, but the day players in those movies kill me. The fucking Dark Knight, everyone who has one line in the Dark Knight is the worst actor you've ever seen. Like, it, the people it, on the boat. On the boats, the I was just going to say, the boats, it's egregious. The boats are egregious. Like, come it's on, guys. All, every, every Nolan movie, it's the same thing. I don't know, the 27 Twinks and Dunkirk, I can tell like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the sequel to Twenty Seven Dresses, but um, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, they're going to shut that name down now. It's been said on this podcast. Um, but yeah, like I I think when it's done wrong, it is like you know that whole background actor. Like you need to actually yeah, be authentic. Day players will kill you because it's just you get one person looking into the camera. Or... There's a great woman in Heat, and I even spoke to her in the minute, where she holds her neck. Like, she's so – it's an older lady, and she's terrified. She's, like, holding her neck and chest. That's such a – that's like a – I don't know, it's so authentic. I think, like, my grandmother used to do that <laughs> if she was offended, you know? Like, you know, you just see that reaction. They put their hand up to their neck and the top of their chest, like, oh, God. And it, there was something about that in the chaos that just really struck me. Just pick that you, – you know, you just live vicariously through that person for a split second. Bang, there you go. But – Oh man, back to our friend Ralph. Do you think that Xander Ber- like so? Xander Berkeley's in LA Takedown. Michael Mann clearly just hires him back because, like, you know, may- maybe this is the most meta Michael Mann has ever been to like because he he literally. <laughs> I'm looking at this scene right now. 22 seconds into this minute, he's sitting on a couch, which ultimately is how his fate. How he grows up. How he goes down in LA Takedown. Like he's sitting down on a couch. It happens pretty much in the same way. And he kind of has this meta reference back to LA Takedown. And he's like, is it the biggest like shitting on your own original version of this text to have like the main bad guy demoted to Ralph? <laughs> I have to ask. Like, is I, it? I feel like he just decasts the same people. He's gonna, <laughs> you've seen the movies. He doesn't have an extensive Rolodex. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he calls the same. Like, like, what's Farina doing today? <laughs> Frank, you're around? Nah, not here. That would have been some deep Michael Mann deep cuts if Farina was Ralph. If Farina was, but he, he could never. He could never do Ralph. The moustache is too tough. He's way too tough. He he's not. He, he couldn't pull off that sweater. That he would make that sweater look ominous. Farina. No, I do love the crime story thing. The, the language is so different too. Like it's it's the NBC network. Uh, you can go on dates with my wife. <laughs> Balling someone's wife is such a like is so affronting a phrase. It's just like it's so oh god. And especially the weird Pacino. I, I don't know where Pacino gets his accent from. Half the time when he's just like ball. where are you from york (laughs) no it's it's because he's done so many like it's that weird um i think someone came up with the phrase many years ago that i love is like generican like that's pacino these days like there's not he's not from baston you know you can't get the inflections they try and get it out of the you know they try and break it out of themselves no i sound too boston so i'm going to just break it and it's this weird generic accent where, like, sometimes you catch a bit of it and you're like, oh, is that, is that New York City? No, it's not. It's weird. It's a weird, weird version of New York City. Yeah, Vermont was always the thing. Vermont. Vermont on ramp. <laughs> oh, I love his doing. Oh, look. It's so good. And Ralph just doesn't even drop his coffee. Like, we're 30 seconds in. He's, not, he's still got his coffee in his hand. You think he'd just go, I gotta go. Moves, the guy's a guy. 
<laughs> I suppose you're right, but I'm just looking at him like, I would put the coffee down, like, immediately. If I heard the door open, I'd be like, who's here? Oh. So, you know, I was thinking the, the, the few seconds we saw the previous scene with uh, De Niro and Amy Brenneman and that, you know, the blinding white light behind them. Yes. Told you how many times I saw this movie during its theatrical run. Yes. And I can tell you that scene fared so poorly over four months in theater projectors. Oh, really? <laughs> well, because you have this, you know, yeah, because it's just like white light between these two heads. So every tiny scratch or piece of dirt, because you know these prints pick up dust, and so by the time it was like the seventh time I saw the movie, where before it was leaving theaters. Which was a weird thing, too, right? Because the movie would leave theaters and it wouldn't come out on video for three months. So it's like, well, how am I going to live without this? It's just going to be gone. The movie's going away to a place where no one can see it. (laughs) We're putting it to bed now. It's it's, it's past bedtime. I have to see it the Thursday night before it goes away. And, like, the print by then was trash. Yeah. And, uh, like, every little speck of garbage in the booth or anything it all glommed on to that one seat so that whole window behind them just looked like shit and 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 the and the chocolate that was stuck to the middle of the of the white <laughs> pristine screen from someone in a really yeah, rowdy yeah, session like bears and stuff people stuck to the screen and I just just in general like the wear and tear in the booth every little scratch and scrape like you don't want that kind of 2001 light first no. extended sequence like that back mm. in the 35 millimeter days. No, you want it for just 10 seconds. You want a sunrise sped <laughs> up and then you want to move on. But there, yeah, that is a blinding scene. And it's funny. It's just like, it's one of those things where again, then Pacino walks out of this blinding light back into his little dark cave of this gray room. It's those great contrasts in these characters that they, even in the staging. And he just comes into this little dark room and it feels like out I don't know about LA because I've never really lived in a, a pure sort of desert town like that where people can sort of get away with wearing a suit. But one thing that's always struck me is I live in Sydney and it's hot. Like summer is hot. Like in the days it's humid. It's not dry heat. A little bit north in Australia and like Brisbane, northern northern Australia in Queensland, the sort of northern state on the eastern seaboard is like it, it'll progressively get to that dry heat zone and then it'll get tropical as you head really further north. But it's like... I can't imagine just wearing a black suit and a black shirt in LA as a New York guy who's like, New York's cool. Like it's, you know, summer is still very well, lovely. It's August and it's, yeah, it, yeah, it's, season. Then, 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 yeah, then it's, then it's sticky, right? Then it's, the, it's, it's quite, quite balmy, but it's not um, there for the air to go. It's trapped in all the further, yes. the first, I grew up in Boston. The first summer I spent in New York city, I was like, Oh, well this is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Like Boston, we have there's an ocean. Like the air at least moves sometimes. And right? same with Sydney, we've got the ocean. So the closer you are to the city, even when it's hot, it's still bearable. But I still like I think of LA and I'm like it's desert. Like although right on the coastline, obviously Malibu's and things like that, it's nice. But it's like these guys are in the city. They're driving around in cars. It's all just this urban like everything's tarmac like the entire city basically it feels like that so it always feels really hot and especially xander berkeley in this cold house wearing a sweater like come on what's what (laughs) what month is this this must be in the winter months it has to be it has to be the shooting it or at least they pretended it was this director is more concerned with how things look and you know he used to paint the buildings on miami vice so they would go with the cars parked in front of them (laughs) that is a great point that is a great point (laughs) Everything needs to have a look. 
I just don't think people. Are you thinking of the John Woo movies where everyone's wearing these big dusters and they're in Hong Kong in the summer? <laughs> Giant fats talking about a sweating buckets. Oh my god, there must have been. <laughs> yeah, it looks so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's the same with the Matrix. They shot that in Sydney. Yeah. It's hot, man. Right. No one's ever worn a duster in Sydney ever. But we all started, and we're like, "This is stupid. <laughs> this is really dumb. What are we doing?" <laughs> You do not. There is not enough credit given. Besides, in these conversations between people on one hit minute, for Al Pacino's actual bewildered to fired up performance in this scene, it literally takes. You know, he's like, "I'm very angry, Ralph." He still looks bewildered. His eyebrows are really high, and then the focus starts to come in, and that's when he's like, and as he's stalking towards Ralph, Xander Berkeley does this gesture. He puts his coffee down and he holds his chest. There's never been a more LA douchebag. I'm scared of you posturing than holding your chest. He's holding over. It's the worst smirk Venora gives in the upper upper left hand corner of the screen. Like this is playing out exactly the way she wanted, and she is delighted. Yeah, and I think he senses that because that's when he turns away from Ralph, and then he turns and, and he starts lighting into her. And and it's like. He's just waiting. He once he locks him in, it's actually the start, it's the start of a ramp up of that conversation. So it's like he's he's looking he's looking at Ralph. He's got his hands on his hips, and he tells him to sit down. And that's when she's got that really. And he looks over at her, and it's like thirty seconds of this ramp up where he goes from bewildered to like I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> like I actually am still kind of semi deciding whether I'm going to kick your ass in this scene. And he just does. It's just it's, I just he's good. He's real good in this movie. He's real fun to watch in this movie in a cinema with people. Like, when you've got a group of people, he is just the comedy relief. He is just on oh, yeah. fire. He's... he's on fire. People don't understand you know, it like when you watch it at home by yourself. From, um, it was a couple of years out from Glengarry, but it was the same thing. The same scene with Kevin Spacey. Oh. It's just the, you stupid fucking coach. <laughs> and, then, and then the ramp-up starts. <laughs> But here like he drops the C word, and then he's like, "So who told you?" <laughs> and that's when it builds into the screaming. Yes. <laughs> Maybe, but, <laughs> but here he but goes. I think he does some of the same pivots too. He's got the same big hair. It's just it's the perfect Pacino era for me. <laughs> I love this. It is so good, and it's also like she's got such this, such this like. She raises her eyebrow, looks at Ralph, and she just loves. She's oh my god, she loves it. She just loves it, every single part of it. But it's also like he's so good in this movie to like ramp it right up to my television set. And I wonder, and I talked to it about, and I'll talk to it more in the next minute. But I just wonder with you, it's like I love that he completely fucks up ripping the television set out of the wall. I just love it. I love it. Like in the in what you've heard in the crime story, like it's that classic old like set top box TV and Farina like with such class, he just like picks it up and walks out. Like it's there's no clutter, he just sort of goes, "Boop, it's done." The fact that he's he shows a little bit of how actually really pissed off and a little bit hurt he is is how he fumbles to grab that freaking TV. Like I, well, I end up saying about like the static on the TV interfering with the weather report because you know that was something they must have like had to tape and put in there. Like yes. that, was, that was pretty planned out. That wasn't a normal static pattern. I'm just picturing Michael Mann looking for like the weather report's got to be a little more fucked up when a little static comes through. 
Or, or maybe it was like one of those things, like when they're recording the sound in the heist, and he's like, "We've got to use the sound that's on set. You know, we can't, we can't recreate it in Foley. It's going to take three months, and we don't have it. Like, so just plug- that might be my favorite minute I've ever listened to because it was in my car driving home from. Something. Oh. I was, I was only a fistful of dollars the other night, and I was driving home from the theater, and I was like, "Oh, let's listen to this minute." And it was just chaos. <laughs> I've actually said a couple of apologies to people on the One Eight Minute podcast recently during the heist. I'm like, so normally what happens is you get dialed into like a piece of contemplative conversation, a piece of drama, people like arguing, you know, you know, saying some cool lines. Okay, but right now, as soon as we press play, you're going to be in the highest sounding like assault to your ears. So maybe just quickly turn. You mastered the show well because it was like ricocheting around the inside of my car. <laughs> it is the high def rip, audio rip from the there. So it comes out with all the bells and whistles. And so I'm like, so just please just maybe turn it down a whisker before you press play because <laughs> your ears are going to be blown out. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> or your ears will be blown out by Al Pacino yelling. Oh, yelling. He could be yelling. Great ass. That's the only time so the AQ's to, ever got that high. Not to tell tales out of school, but, you know, I, so I went to see this on opening night with my friends from college, and we all live together. And as sometimes happens in these tight-knit college situations, one girlfriend had migrated to another member of our friend group. Yes. And it was a sticky situation, and it was uncomfortable. And uh, so the friend who had been abandoned said, it's fine. I hope they're very happy together. However, I brought the TV for the common room. He's not watching my TV. <laughs> also, it's just completely unreasonable. We all live together. We should be watching TV together. So we all go to the movie together. And, we're all, and these two are sitting on opposite ends of, you know, the eight of us that go to the movies. And I'm sitting right next to my buddy who owned the television. And when Pacino's like, you do not get to watch my fucking tell my friend hits me. Like, you see, I'm so well, I can't argue with I, that. I am vindicated. I'm vindicated yeah. by Michael Mann and Al Pacino. I, I, there's, there is something about it. There's just something about it. It's like, I don't give a fuck about anything. The thing I'm the most insulted by is, is the peace that I have in the house. The peace I get in the house is usually when you're fucking blitzed out of your face on marijuana and pros like upstairs <laughs> i'm back home late at night i'm sneakily having like a good a good lick of jack daniels because i just want to watch like oh i know well it's always that, that shot of him in front of the tv with the bottle of jack daniels and the drumstick and the, and the, drumstick, the chicken leg <laughs> the best drumstick oh man there were so many chickens that had to I've die got bourbon for... and chicken and i don't and i've got this shitty little television <laughs> that's that's his sad little life. That's the in that one scene. That's the equivalent of the Malibu apartment, right? It's this big, beautiful thing, this industrial thing that has nothing in it. Like it's got coffee and like two mugs, and that's it. Like that's right. his version of that scene. Because over and over, although Vincent wears all the trimmings and stuff like that, it's like he doesn't have anything. He doesn't have anything. He's got nice clothes. He doesn't have a house. He's still living this Spartan life. You know that regular type life is not his life. Ball games and barbecues. Ball, ball games and ball games. Like it's not, it's not his. And especially, his, what a vindic. This is where she's like at her most bitchy. It's so, it's so nasty. It is not. He, she deserves that bitch, but it is intense. She deserves it. It's nasty. To she's me. so mean to Ralph too. The poor son of a bitch. That's what I mean. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's not like I'm looking at. It's like the 31 seconds into the minute. Just look at poor Ralph's face. He's he does not want to fucking be there. There is nothing else he would rather be doing than like 
oh, I just, I don't want to be sitting here. These two are fighting. Jesus Christ. Like, I don't want any part of this. But I've been watching this scene again. The, the next scene, when Neil is at Nate's house and he's mm. getting me out, the car pulls out. That's totally Vincent. I swear it's Vincent driving by. What do you think? I think Vincent lives, uh, Justine lives very close to Nate. That's uh, my theory. I, I'm the gonna, black car. I'm going to go right I now. don't see it for long enough. I was trying to pause it to see it. But... I'm going to watch it. <laughs> oh, he looks so angry in this scene. Sorry, as I'm just watching it play through. And she looks so happy. Well, can't wait for you guys to hear me talking more to um, uh, to Courtney about it. But let's have a little. We're gonna just cheat here because you know we're gonna be like Justine. We're gonna be. We're gonna practice this. We're gonna. We're gonna cheat. <laughs> All right, let's have a look. Because that would be like seriously crazy obsessive Michael Mann. So here we go. Vincent and Neil are talking. It cuts on Al leaving the house. Cuts on Al leaving the house. And, and so far, so far, Neil and Nate are there. Nate's in the frame right now. There's a black car at, according to the times that we're watching on the version that we're watching, it's two hours, twelve minutes, twenty-one seconds. So you're looking at, um, you're looking at minute one hundred and thirty-three, and twenty-one seconds in, there's a car that drives past. Is that Vincent? Holy shit! It totally could be. It I totally, think it is. That's, t- all, that's always been my little pet theory. And the more after we talked about it the last time I watched it again, and I'm hundred percent convinced now. That that's I mean, a little joke. I'm going to take it. Cars a- only make that noise in this movie when Vincent's driving him because he drives like a fucking maniac. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take it back. I'm actually going to do a screenshot and then I'm going to tweet it so that we can ask the question. I think it's an important question for anyone who's listening to this show um, is, is that Vincent? Because oh. they do make a big deal of De Niro turning around and looking at it. Why else? Right in this scene, two minutes... Yeah. There it is. You guys heard the screenshot. It's coming to a Twitter near you. Um, but, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Because he is like he's pissed off in that moment. He's out of there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't He doesn't stew around for long. But, God, he, 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 he can bomb. Be if Justine and Nate were neighbors. <laughs> I mean. That would kind of fit the randomness of this film. It would. It, especially because Nate is the kind of guy who you feel like is making money hand over fist and never really getting sticking his head out too much. Like that's the Eddie Bunker, you know, the, the Eddie Bunker of it all, no, be so fierce, like just hu- constantly on the hustle, making decent money, you know, glad handing all these crooks together, but never actually, never actually having to dip his toe into anything that's really too gnarly because then then the trouble sets in. And he also knows, like, Nate's, Nate's is the voice of wisdom, right? He's still there saying to Neil a lot, this is a bad idea. You shouldn't do this. Yeah, well, he's like the mom the whole time. Yeah. Just stop, dude. <laughs> the mom. He really is. He shows him, the, he gives him the file on Vincent. He's like, don't do this. Yeah. He calls him a heart attack man. Yeah. Yeah, three marriages. You think that means you like staying home? That's my favorite line. <laughs> that might be my favorite line of this movie. I'm going to need to do an episode. I'm going to promise something. I don't even, Sean hasn't even said yes yet, but I'm going to promise like one of the credit minutes of this movie when it's just black and credits are running over. I'm going to invite some great guests back. One of them I'm going to invite back is Sean, just so we can uh, just go through 
I'm going to get him to rank his like top 10 lines of the movie and I'm going to rank my top 10 lines of the movie. We're just going to go oh through it. This will be longer than the movie. I know <laughs> because it's like I can't decide what are my favorite because I love little lines. Like, yes, I'm very angry, Ralph. Like that might be in the minute that we're watching that might be my favorite line of the whole movie. But then when I think of lines like that, what, three marriages, you think that means a guy likes going home? Like – I've sent all these lines to my friends in texts many times. Like, just randomly start a conversation with this. Decided to become a born-again good citizen. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one, too. That's really good. I have to demean myself with Ralph. I have to demean (laughs) myself with Ralph. right there. <laughs> How mean is it? It's so much meaner to Ralph than to Vincent, almost. Like she's just. There. I'm offended that he doesn't have his shoes on and his feet are on the couch too. But <laughs> listen, if you're wearing a sweater in LA in the summer and sitting on the couch, you deserve everything you get. You deserve the scolding from Al Pacino. Dude's feet. I don't know. It's hotter where you are. Maybe you don't. No, no. He can't. He can't. He can't be barefoot on my on my couch in a sweater. With my wife. That's it. That's even all the more offensive. That's all the more offensive. I hear Farina say that. Oh, my God. Farina could have given it some venom, right? That's when you watch this movie and you think about... Um, it's the one thing that not we, we haven't really talked about, you and I, but in the show it hasn't come up. It's like clearly man knew in a couple of his versions whether it's like that scene from crime story or whether it's la takedown the whole movie he he knew that the movie that he wanted to make was somewhere there like he knew that the whole epic it just it, it hadn't materialized into the whole script and finding a way to make the ending but there is something to be said that we only really talk about often in sports of like i know that this script can work and i know these lines of dialogue can work if better actors say them like, there is something to be said. And, like, that Farina one, when you take away the constraints of it's a network television show, oh, you would give anything for the Dennis Farina version of this scene. You would give anything yeah. for it. He would freaking go off. He would be... And Darlene Flugel, death bless her soul. I was in love with that woman. Oh, my sister. That would... To live die in L.A. She was just... Sex to me when I They was would a kid. be wonderful. They would be wonderful in that scene because if they could get dead serious, they they would have a field day with it. But that's what I think. It's like you go pound for pound, and it's almost like L.A. Takedown is like taking is like taking this out to is like having a go like a Shakespearean script and putting it on like a local theater, and then then taking it to like Broadway and going, okay, we can actually hire real people who can do this dialogue justice and, and actually sell it. And this this whole scene. That's why every scene hangs on it. That's what, They're so great together in this movie, Venora and Pacino. Like, the shittiest and best to each other at different points of this movie. And it really, well, like... Shakespearean actors, you know, they both know how to play. Like, oh. I mean, that's funny tension with it because we talk about how, uh, you know, like, De Niro is, uh, I think, our lifetime's the best actor in close-up. And the movie utilizes that very well. Very he well. gets... All of his big scenes, you're like locked in. Or you think of all the great De Niro scenes, period, with like Goodfellas with the cigarette when he's looking at Maury or all the things in Taxi Driver. You just put like close up on De Niro. And, you know, Pacino, like, he, he keeps the camera back because he knows it's he's the theater actor. This yes. is the Shakespeare guy. And that's why it's so wonderful in this. We keep coming back to the Matador escape and the entrance. Oh. And then, like unfurls the jacket to reveal the gun. Hands on the hips. 
It's so <laughs> over the top. It's but it's be- like it's over the top, but completely understated because of the way that it frames. Like you can tell that Pacino needed to do that for him to start winding up into what he was going to deliver. But man, just like I'm going to cut you. Off. I'm going to give like an audience a flash of you being that flashy, like this flashy. <laughs> Hands on hips is too flashy for this movie. So we're going to just flash to it for four frames. No, he and pushes cut. in, right? He pushes in. He pushes right in. Pushes right into his face then. And then you can't have too much of this like, uh, Shylock stuff you're doing No, here. we're done with that. We're just going to push right in. And he, man, I think you're right about De Niro in Closer. But I think that Pacino has probably, I don't know if people have told him how just how goddamn good he actually is in Close-Up as well. Like mm-hmm. you think of all the ways, all the times when, you know, going back to Godfather, the movie that kind of kicked off these guys, collectively the series that kicked off these guys careers on the on the epic stage is like every time it pushes in in on him as michael corleone that might be the best one of the best five performances ever in american cinema like he's and it's funny because it's so different from everything else he's done since then drastically different drastically different like a couple years later dog day you know he's always in back and forth and he's running around and justice for all he has to storm up and down the courtroom you know whereas like you know the the godfather you're just sitting on all of that you can read it like all that energy is there it's just about to explode out of his eyeballs yes and having and or his jaw being wide shut like just you know and only having half a mouth to speak out of you know what I mean? Like none of this big, blah, big gestures. It's like half a mouth to speak out of. I just thought like, uh, our, uh, my friend Glenn Kenny wrote a great book on Robert De Niro and that Anatomy of the Actor series. That yeah, yeah. Just, and he was talking about how. Why like, hasn't he done this show yet, Sean? I you should call him. I'm, I'm <laughs> you, immediately after this episode, we're gonna we're gonna get in touch. But yeah, go on. Well, yeah, no, because he talks about how smart to, like the understanding De Niro has of what lens they're using because mm. he's so little and like you think about that shot in Goodfellas of him smoking I think a cigarette it, when you just said it and it was so funny it's you and Matt Zolazites have both said on this show and people are going to have to wait to hear it because it falls after Sean's episode but just as a tiny thing he's said exactly the same thing in close up De Niro might be responsible for five of the top 20 close up movie close ups ever and one of them that we talk about it, as an actor and one of them is The Goodfellas and that when you said close up you didn't even have to say the words it was like <laughs> it was like that Goodfellas close up may be the best few seconds of a movie that have ever existed. Way, they dart so slightly, but that's that's such an understanding of the practice of an actor who's been doing this for so many years that he can tell what the camera is reading. Yes, you can read my mind in this because <laughs> because uh, other you know you could go too big or too small or whatever, and he just knew where it was, and and that is such a skill, and it's not something you can you can teach. I think you have to pick it up over so many years of work like that. And, and you have to trust. There's that great thing of like, you know, working with someone like a Scorsese who understands movie making in such an innate way. It's like all of that impression is coming at him. Because you think of the difference between a Goodfellas, which is what, 90s, 1990, 90 on the that button, was, isn't it? So they're shooting it in 89. I yeah, guess, so right? 89, 90, what? but 76 to 90. Think of how many great movies they made together in 14 years before even Goodfellas. You know, which yeah. is such a spectacular film. It's like 
he's having to know exactly what's going on in that frame all the time and then being coached by like one of the best living filmmakers ever. Um, you know, one to one. We didn't have great video assist equipment just to trust that it would read like that. Yes. Like understanding of the... Yeah, there's you know, none of these unbelievable... None, none of these red <laughs> camera playbacks that you can just play it back and go, no, do, you know, see... No, they had a crummy video tab. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. A Jeff feed, you know, probably showing it to him in black and white. Yeah, but, and, you know, they picked out like that flicker of the eyes. That was because I remember being—I was 15 years old in the theater, and I was like, "He's gonna kill Maury!" <laughs> <laughs> oh God, so good. That is that is. Yeah, he's he's unbelievable, and and the the later scene that I happen to talk to Matt Zolzitz about is that tunnel scene where he talks about in the. Oh. Which is yeah, that's probably number two on the list of great De Niro close-ups. That that, that amazing close-up as well. But yeah, like I think, you know, it's it's so you funny. see him weighing it all in his eyes, and he's not moving his face at all. And you see, nope. see the whole film right there. It's like I could go. Mm. Well, from the whole film in someone's eyes to the whole film in someone's softly laid hand on their douchebag sweater, <laughs> we rush back to Ralph and say, Sean Burns. As always, you've been an amazing guest, mate. Thank you so much for coming oh, back so to episode one here, minute. This is so I, so I fun. Love this show. I love listening to this show. I don't know what I'm going to do when we run out of minutes. <laughs> well, you're going to be right there at the end, and uh, you're going to just be standing there, probably holding my hand virtually as I stare off into the distance. And my <laughs> life is a tragic ending because I just know that this is this is my Neil McCauley. This show is my <laughs> Neil McCauley. I'll be streaming tears. I'll have nothing left, and I won't know what to do. I told I'll you just... he was never going back. <laughs> I told you I was never going back, guys. I told you, 170 episodes. I'm never going back. It's done, um, guys. Thank you so much. This has been this is amazing fun. Um, thank you so much for being a part of the show. All you guys listening, Sean. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Uh, every way that you do, um, guys. If you um, want to follow Sean and his great um, tweets, the best place to start is at Sean M Burns on Twitter. Um, that's the best place. It links off to all um, of Sean's personal blog, which is Spice Personality, which is in the link when you go through, but um, he'll he'll post his regular reviews there, so always great stuff, so definitely follow Sean on there. Um, Sean, thank you so much. I'm going to touch base with you about Glenn Kenny, because obviously Glenn Kenny you know, if he's part of the extended one heat minute family, we're, we're happy to use our contacts there. So I'll reach out to him and you. So thank you for that. Guys, thanks for listening. Oneheatminute.com. Mail at One Heat Minute if you've got anything. We'll try and compile it and do um, some mailbag episodes as part of our different minutes um, when we get enough stuff. And uh, thanks so much for listening. And just remember, if a woman seems too good to be true and she says you can sit on her couch comfortably, bare feet, wearing a douchebag sweater, you may be up... You never know who's going to come through that front door. If it Don't seems too, for practice, if it boys. seems too good to be true, get the hell out of there. And if this has happened to you, my friends, you've been Ralph. We'll catch another episode of One Eight Minute just around the corner. <laughs> <laughs>